This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. What's going on? It's time for another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson. And I gotta tell you, we have a really good show lined up for you today. Let me give you a little bit of a teaser of the program. We're going to be talking to former para-ice hockey Paralympian, Anthony Gale, who will stop by to tell us about his career, and I've got to be honest, because I have the papers in front of me, we have some pretty pointed questions we're going to throw his way about Hockey Canada, and what he sees needs to change since the last time they've won a gold medal in 2006, so he's going to come along, and I'm sure he's going to be very honest with us, and we hope so anyways. And it's going to be a uh, fascinating conversation, as it is always. Plus, we're going to chat a little bit about whether or not players have too much say within their organization. And so we'll have that conversation and much, much more. You never do know what kind of shenanigans or trouble we get up to on any given program. To help me with the shenanigans slash trouble, let's bring in our co-host for the day let's start with cam jenkins cameron how are you i'm doing pretty good felt like uh, the nhl trade deadline was yesterday with uh, all the trades that happened um and another one uh, this afternoon so yeah that's one of my used to be one of my favorite times of the year the nhl trade deadline um a lot different under the salary cap but i'm really looking forward to this week and the uh, uh trade deadline so yes for sure it's uh <laughs> It's a good day. It feels like all the trades will happen before the deadline, as you point out. So that means we're going to have to watch TSN or Sportsnet figure out how to fill like 12 hours of coverage when there's like I really three hope. trades in the day, but we'll see. I really hope there's no trades one trade deadline. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Oh my gosh. It would. <clears throat> I don't think the higher ups would be too happy about that but i would love it as a as a consu- consumer because i love to see what kind of stuff they come up with to fill the time uh also joining us is one josh watson josh how are you i'm doing well brock and cam it's a wonderful monday here as we record today and uh yeah there's been lots of trade news and uh, we, we even have a little bit of a breaking story which we'll get into in our headlines here but had a nice quiet weekend, didn't do a whole lot except take in the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts, which uh, was quite entertaining, uh, ending with uh, Carrie Anderson winning her fourth consecutive Scotties, which is uh, pretty pretty darn remarkable in my book. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So it's going to be fun to uh, to talk some sports today. Yes, indeed. With that, let's get into our headlines for this week. Neutral Zone Headlines. Headlines. Congratulations goes out to the Canadian women's national hockey team as they defeated the United States four games to three in their most recent rivalry series. Team Canada did this in comeback fashion as they were down three games to one in the series and managed to rattle off three consecutive wins. Congratulations, ladies, on kicking some American uh, tail as usual. It's always fun to watch those games. The two teams do not like each other, and it's really a lot of fun to see Team Canada wind up on top. Ooh, that was fun watching Josh dance around the word he wanted to say for a few <laughs> minutes the there. <laughs> uh, we continue with the congratulations on the headlines, as Josh aptly mentioned that uh, Team Canada continues their run as champion as they win their fourth straight event at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. This time they defeated Manitoba's Jennifer Jones by a score of 10 to 4. Shout out also goes out to Shannon Burchard for winning her fifth consecutive Scotties. This going back to when she played with 
Chelsea Carey, and she has only played in five Scotties, and she has been a winner in every single one. Also, a key note to, to, to make note of is that Canada has a whopping 45 wins and 6 loss at this event. They are outstanding and dominant. Congratulations. Go represent Canada well in Sweden. Yeah, it was a phenomenal uh, tournament or bond spiel that they played. So uh, good luck to Anderson. Uh, former Toronto Argonauts quarterback and great cup champion McLeod Bethel-Thompson is leaving the team on a winning note. The veteran quarterback announced on social media on Wednesday he'll play with the USFL's New Orleans Breakers in 2023. Bethel-Thompson became a CFO free agent earlier this month. Um, you know, like I was never a huge Bethel Thompson fan um, saying that. I'm really glad that uh, he got the Argos uh, to the Grey Cup last year. But I'm really interested and really excited to see Chad Kelly and how he's going to be as the quarterback of the Toronto Argonauts. Canada soccer president Nick Bontis has resigned. In a statement, he acknowledged that change is needed to achieve labor peace. Bontis was elected president in November of 2020, succeeding Stephen Reid. Currently, the organization is embroiled in a labor dispute with both its men's and women's national teams. Uh, this most recently came to a head as Team Canada women went on strike just prior to the She Believes Cup, which took place in the United States. I, for one, am glad to see this happen. I think whatever uh, has gone on with this organization starts with its president. And if there is any thought that there's been some misdeeds or some bad negotiating, then it is time for change. And I hope that when a new president is elected, that the teams can come to an agreement with Canada Soccer and they can get back on their winning ways because I do believe that it did affect the Canadian women at the She Believes Cup. Without a doubt, it affected the women at the She Believes Cup. This has been an ongoing labor dispute for quite some time. You know, you go back to the uh, World Cup, the men weren't happy, She Believes Cup, they weren't happy. And it starts at the top, and sometimes that's where the change needs to happen. So I, like you, Josh, agree with this and hope that we see better change in the coming weeks and months. Those are your headlines for this week. Let's check in on our Twitter poll questions. We asked you, do you believe professional athletes have too much say in their organization? 75% said not enough, 25% said too much, and nobody said leave it the way it is. This week's question looks like this. Do you believe with spring training off and running, how do you think the Toronto Blue Jays will fare? Be mediocre, make the playoffs, win it all. You may cast your votes at our Twitter handle, coming at you right now. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at Neutral Zone CB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base right at Claire. She picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this organ interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Our guest today is extremely athletic and has played many different para sports, including wheelchair racing, wheelchair basketball, para ice hockey, and most recently, he has begun playing wheelchair curling. I am talking about Paralympic athlete Anthony Gale. He joins us now from Toronto, Ontario, to talk all about his para career. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Anthony, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis on how you became involved in para sports? Yeah, so I, uh, I started at the age of seven um, playing 
pretty much everything that I could. Uh, sledge hockey, wheelchair basketball, wheelchair racing. Um, at the age of seven, uh, with the Halton Peel Cruisers, um, a player, uh, David Ali, actually passed the information on about the Cruisers to my grandparents. Uh, he grew up on the same street as them, so uh, passed the information on to them. They passed it on to my parents, and I got involved. Uh, you've been to the Paralympics uh, for Paralympic ice hockey. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about your Paralympic career? Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, like what an experience that was. Um, something I'll never forget um, from the opening ceremonies um, to playing, obviously, and, and, and the closing ceremonies is, is something that, um, I mean, for a lot of people, is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And if you're lucky to do it multiple times, like, that's amazing but um, for me so far just the one time and um, it, it's something that like I said is something that I'll never forget and I'll cherish for the rest of my life <clears throat> um, and, and obviously we, we came home with a, a bronze medal not what we wanted um, at the time but it's something again that I uh, I hold close to my heart and and something that I, I cherish and something that I'm, I'm extremely proud of and, and it's something that not a lot of people have. So something that I, I hold close to me. Now, at some point you decided to walk away from para ice hockey after what was a successful career. Can you talk to us a little bit about the decision making and what went into it? Yeah. I mean, um, I'll be honest. Initially it wasn't my own decision. I, I, I was injured, um, at my last, uh, tryout and, um, was released upon the end of that selection camp. Um, but I mean, yeah, the decision, I guess, to either continue trying to make a comeback um, the following season or just kind of move on um, was my own. Um, and I mean, at that point, I was my in my early 20s and had been to the Paralympics and... Um, I just kind of made that decision to, I guess, not really put the effort into it anymore um, and kind of go to school and um, try to get a big boy job and uh, kind of move on from the sport. Um, but I mean, it, it wasn't easy. Um, I was still pretty young at the time and, and felt I could have continued to play and I still like to think that if I was in shape right now, I still could play, but who knows? And um, I, I, I don't regret that decision at all. And um, I'm happy where I am today. So yeah, it's, it's been since 2006, since Canada has been able to get a gold and that was in Torino. Uh, can you maybe talk about uh, why USA has been so dominant and what Canada needs to do uh, to be able to get back up to the gold medal? Yeah, like you said, it's obviously no secret. They they are completely dominant. Even when I was playing, um, we won a world championship in 2013, the year before the Paralympics, and um, it was a one nothing game, and we were still competitive with them. We were still competitive with them at the Paralympics. Um, but, I mean, yeah, they... In my opinion, I, I guess it would be their development program is far superior um, than Hockey Canada. Um, with USA Hockey, they, they, I guess they have more um, of a development program just in the sense that they have more teams um, to choose from, um, more players to choose from, obviously with their population being a lot higher. Um, but I mean, just in general, um, I could be wrong on this. I, 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 like you said, I've been removed from it for a while now, but I, I don't really think there is much of a um, development program at this point. Um, at least in the in the sense where they're playing games against other countries, because there's also not very many other development programs across the world, other than Canada and the United States. Um, so I mean, just the the pool of players they have to choose from um, and the the lack of development um, here. You mentioned that Canada needs to do more in regards to development. 
Is that the only thing that Canada needs to improve on, or is there more to it than that? I don't think it is just development. Um, I mean, there there's so many components to hockey, um, to sport in general. It's it's physical, it's mental. Um, so I it's hard to pinpoint what could be done or what needs to be done um, to kind of get back to that level because um, they've been fortunate enough um, since I've left to 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 still continue to win to they've still picked up another world championship um which is just as important as as any other tournament um and yeah you can you can say the olympics and the paralympics are a lot more important um but the way you look at it as a as an athlete is it is just a it is just another tournament um it's always going to be in the back of your mind that <clears throat> it is the olympics or it is the paralympics um and it's something that you kind of go through the motions of those other tournaments in order to get to that Paralympic um, experience. Um, so, I mean, they, yeah, development is a big part of it. Um, not necessarily at the grassroots level, um, but I mean, picking players at a younger age. Um, look at guys like Brody Roybal and, um, and Declan Farmer on the United States, they've been around on the, on the men's national team since they were like 15, 16 years old. I mean, they're probably in their mid twenties now. Um, and they're just dominating the sport. So, and unfortunately we don't really have many guys like that. We don't have guys that are dominating at such a young age. Um, with the exception, I guess, of Tyler McGregor, the team Canada captain right now is, has been around, um, I want to say since 20, 13 i believe was his first season and he was a young te- uh like an older teenager 18 19 um but i mean yeah again to go back to your question like it, it's not just development it, it's you need to uh there needs to be a little bit more um not commitment i don't want to say commitment because i know all those guys are very committed um but there needs to be a little bit more uh uh, to put a word to it, uh, I guess more games, more training camps, more um, opportunity to play for these players outside of just going to the World Sludge Challenge or the the, the Para Hockey Cup, I guess that Canada puts on now is what it's called. But um, and and creating more camps for them to uh, to practice and and be together as a team and and to excel together we're joined by anthony gale who is a paralympic athlete in the sport of para ice hockey and he is also taking up the sport of wheelchair curling which we'll find out in just a little bit more as we progress through the interview you're listening to the neutral zone i'm joined by cam jenkins and josh watson and of course i'm your host brock richardson there have been different coaches throughout the years and there's been a lot of discussion surrounding them How much of this do you put on the coaches versus players? It seems a bit too easy to say that it's all on the coaches, isn't it? Definitely. I think, I think that is kind of a cop out. I mean, you see it all the time in, in professional sports in the NHL and the NBA guys get fired because the team's not producing. Um, And I mean, I could, I could say that that was the case when I was playing after we finished in Sochi, our, they, they cleared house. They, our all our entire coaching staff was gone the following year, all the way down to our team doctor. Um, so I mean, yes, it it can make a difference, um, but I I don't think you can totally blame a coach um, for what's going on the ice um, or on the playing field in any sport. Um from my experience, I guess like my, the first four years that I played was under, um, Mike Mondin and he had been around the game around sledge hockey for quite a while. Previous to me coming up, he was previously an assistant coach at the 2010 Paralympic games and, and prior to that. Um, so he knew what he was doing, um, following our disappointing, if you want to say um, outing at the Paralympics in, in Sochi um, when he was let go and they brought in um, Ken Babby, 
the one thing I would say is he had a great resume in terms of, of hockey, um, the stand-up game, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what schools he was with. I want to say Michigan um, in, in the NCAA and won multiple world um, like national championships with them. And um, so no doubt he knows the game, but I think the problem with um, sledge hockey in general is, is we're trying to take hockey coaches and bring them into sledge hockey or para ice hockey as it's called now. But and that's a that's a tough a tough spot to be in, I believe, at the beginning, because you're trying to relate the stand-up game to this to the pair ice hockey game, where there's maybe not a whole lot of rule differences, um, but positionally, it is quite a bit different. For instance, like we can't skate backwards, so that's a you. you there's a lot of angling um, that goes into the game that you might not see in, in the stand-up game. Um, it's it's a little bit harder to make a body check. Um, so I think it is a little bit harder to have guys with the, the stand-up experience come in um, that don't necessarily have experience with sledge hockey at the very beginning. Um, and I think there needs to be a little bit more um, emphasis on having coaches with a little bit more sledge experience um, come into those roles. Uh, you've recently started uh, playing one of my favorite games, wheelchair curling. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about your journey um, starting to play wheelchair curling? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I recently actually just came back to playing para ice hockey last season, um, again with the Halton Peel Cruisers. And um, our, our coach, Kelvin Johnson, um, has been around curling for most of his life i'm sure he's got um he's got uh, i think five kids that are all involved now um in uh in curling at some capacity and um so it's 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 myself uh jordan cullum who also had a stint on team canada with sledge hockey um my wife heather um and kennedy who is kelvin's son and also a sledge hockey player um, have all come together, created this curling team and, um, something that is new to all four of us. I mean, with the exception of Kennedy being around the game a little bit more, um, with his family endeavors and, um, but yeah, it's something new to, to all of us. And, and we're, we're kind of learning at a, a slow pace right now, uh, in our first season, but, um, it's something that I, I did have an interest in um, previously, and kind of found it a little bit harder to get into. And when this opportunity arose, that Kelvin wanted to start a team and um, and get involved, it was it was a no brainer for me. And I brought it up to my wife, and she uh, she was right right away wanting to get into it as well. I'm curious, what was the transition like between para ice hockey and wheelchair curling? Obviously, the first thing is the, the physicality. And um, I don't want to say it's not – you don't have to be athletic to play because that's not true. But um, it's just a different type of athleticism, I guess, because um, it, I, in a way, I guess it would be more mental um, trying to uh, trying to get past the frustrations of not making a shot because each player on our team only gets two shots per end. Um, so it, it can be a little frustrating when you don't make a shot that you should, um, or that, you know, you're capable of. Whereas in, in the, in, in pair ice hockey, you kind of, you have one bad shift and it, you're going to have 10 or 15 more of those, um, in a game where we might only play six to eight ends. Um, so that's only maximum 16 rocks you're throwing um so the 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 room for error i guess um you don't want to uh to be making too many mistakes as as it's a slimmer uh area for for error but um i mean it's been good um 
we've played in I think four um, events since uh, September and we're getting ready for our next event um, and most likely our last of the season um, towards the end of March we're playing actually in a uh, um, uh, a stand-up stick uh, provincial tournament so we're, we're the as of right now at least we're the only wheelchair curling team that'll be involved um, so it'll be a little bit of a uh, a learning curve I guess for us because the other teams will have sweepers and, and typically in or not typically in wheelchair curling you do not have sweepers it's all just based on um, accuracy but we're looking forward to it and it, it should be fun and um, looking forward to next year as well uh, Anthony, can you maybe talk about what Paris Sports has done uh, for your life and throughout your journey? I mean, as simple as bringing me so many friends and so many people that I've been lucky to have met and, and crossed paths with. And obviously, you and I grew up together with the Cruisers and um, and, and going to, to Easter Seals camps and all that kind of stuff as young little lads and um and then to uh, just the life lessons. Um, I'm sure any athlete, para sport or uh, or able body sport can can attest to that the life lessons you learn in, in sports and um, and and what that does for you as you as you grow older and um, and what it what it means to each person. Um, and for me, like I said, it's just it's so many so many of my best friends I've met through through wheelchair um not through wheelchair curling but um just through parasport in general um i met my wife through parasport um so i there's nothing more i could really ask for that was anthony gale talking to us about his career in para ice hockey and wheelchair curling if you like what you heard in this interview or anything else we do on the program here's how you can get a hold of us by voicemail if you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! We just had a wonderful chat uh, with Anthony Gale, who, as we mentioned, is a former para-ice hockey player and Paralympic athlete within para ice hockey. And for me, I think the thing that stuck out in the interview was when we asked him about the idea of coaches and whether or not it, it is their responsibility or what they sort of have to bear in the fact that Canada hasn't won a gold medal since uh, Torino 2006. What would be his thoughts on that? And he very eloquently said that it's a cop-out was his words. That's the easy answer. And I think he said in that interview as well that, you know, when he finished in um, the Paralympic Games, all of the coaching staff he was a part of was then subsequently released right down to the doctor, in fact. And I think that speaks to a lot in that Athletes do need to take some uh, ownership in when coaches get fired or, you know, that's the case. And I think it's tough for athletes to do that, to see their coaches go down and they know that they have they have a part to play in this. So I appreciate the honesty of Anthony and uh, what that's like. And that's the reason we got him when we did, because... I wanted some real honest answers with what's going on with para-ice hockey in Canada, and he certainly gave us that information. With that said, though, we asked you in our Twitter poll questions last week as to whether or not you think players have too much power, and we said the results earlier in the program, and it was 75% said no, they didn't have enough. And uh, 25% said they had too many. And I was surprised by this, truly. I thought it would be the other way around. Uh, Cameron, what are your thoughts on just the Twitter poll results? 
Yeah, I thought that, uh, to be quite honest with you, that they would say that players have more uh, clout or, um, than the uh, management or uh, of the coaches. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's not fair of me uh, because a lot of it I'll uh, take a look from pro sports. I won't necessarily look at it from the amateur sports point of view. Um, because there's, a, I think there's a big difference between amateur sports and professional sports. And when you're talking amateur sports, they're not making any money. So I don't know if, uh, they have a lot of power when it comes to that, uh, through, um, you know, uh, that kind of a sport, but through professional sports, when you're paying players, you know, uh, hockey, 11 million, uh, 30 to 40 million for NBA players and 30 to 40, even 50 million for baseball players. Um, you know, I think the players, they have a lot more power in the professional sports because they're just like, okay, well trade me. And that might mean the difference between having a great player to take you to the playoffs and not being in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I think it really just depends on the actual sport uh, that you're speaking of. Sure. Uh, Josh, you brought this uh, topic to my attention a couple of weeks ago, and we've just been able to get to it now because we've had a busy schedule as of late here on the program. But for you, what was the reasoning behind bringing us this topic and also your reaction to the Twitter poll results? Well, I'll maybe answer that in reverse. The Twitter poll result surprises me a great deal because, and maybe I wasn't clear when I brought the topic forward, but I was specifically looking at professional sports. As Cameron mentions, in amateur sport, you really don't have the option to say, well, I don't like this coach, you have to change it. Whereas in professional sport, you you do have more of a say, I suppose, in terms of you, you can say it and then the team has the option to decide, yes, we're going to trade you away or we'll do what you want or whatever the case may be. Um, now, the reasoning for bringing the topic forward was I was listening to another media outlet talk about this very topic in relation to the NHL trade deadline and they were saying how a certain team they didn't feel would make moves from from the upper management side or even the the management side without talking to the star player or players on the team and that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way and i guess it rubs me the wrong way because I mean, now I'm very lucky. I work with people that I really enjoy working with and who are friends. But in the past, I've worked in businesses where I can't just walk up to the CEO of the company and say, I don't like my boss, go fire him. So like, why do you as a professional hockey player get to decide, oh, I don't want to play with this player or I don't want this person to coach me. I don't like them, you know. You're being paid millions of dollars. Be quiet and do your job. Yeah, and I think that that's the real essence of of where I sit on this. I, I came from the, the background. My parents, you know, we all grew up with the same mentality. You earn a job and you do your job. And no matter whether you're making minimum wage, uh, you know, thousands of dollars to millions of dollars, you... you you do the best you can for that organization. And I've lived by that. And guys, to be perfectly honest, I, I've lived by it through co-ops uh, that are not paid jobs, that you don't get a you know lucrative money amount that you can say, well, I'm going to bring this to the bank and that's fine. To me, the experience is just as valuable as the the, the paycheck especially when you're in high school and, you know, God, God bless most of our our parents when, you know, you're able to live rent-free and get the experience you need. But I, I just feel, Cameron, that money is the thing that talks. It's like, well, I'm, you know, Connor McDavid and I make $11 million a year, the top of the, the, the cap, you know, and you got to respect me for who I am. 
And I don't like that train of thought. You know, today we live in a day of collaboration. And I think it's great to be able to collaborate. Um, at the same time, I think once you get that collaboration and asking for people's opinions, um, you as a general manager or as a president of hockey operations, because we're talking about hockey at the moment, um, you have to make the final call. But I think it's very valuable to get other people's opinions um, because, you know, in hockey, you want to see Connor McDavid's opinion to make sure that the player that they're bringing in, if they kind of play the same style that Connor McDavid does, or like, what do they need uh, for Connor McDavid's line? Do they need a person to go in the corners? Uh, do they need uh, a defenseman that's on his line that will clear the net? Um, so I, I think it's very valuable to have a collaboration. Um, but if, if a star player is just wanting to get friends um, and not really thinking about the team needs, um, then no, do not listen to the star player. But that can be real touchy because how much, you know, we're using Connor McDavid as an example. How much revenue does he bring in for the Oilers? At the end of the day, it's a lot. And if it was a free agency, like what it should be, he probably would be making 30 to $40 million a year. So I think there's a fine line between collaboration, which I think they should ask some of their star players or some of the players that they feel uh, have a feel for their team and will give uh, good suggestions as far as what's best for the team. Um, but once yeah, once you have a star that's making $11 million and they're bringing in so much revenue for you and they're like, well, I want out of here. Um, you know, then all of a sudden you're losing a lot of money. So I, I think you do need to balance that. Yeah, I think, uh, Josh, to that point, I think the, um, the, the feeling is that, you know, I, I am somebody and, and I'm going to prove that and I'm going to prove it on the ice, on the court in a good way. But I think sometimes we, we lose... Uh, the only word that's coming to my mind, guys, is respect. And, and this is, I'm not sure, I think it might be too of an aggressive word, but we lose some respect for the people that are in management roles and that they can do their job too and that they should also have a say in what they do and not feel, well, how is this going to affect X player, Y player, etc. They should only be looking at it as how is it going to affect them on the field of play versus how is it going to affect them and their feel of the organization as a whole. Yeah, I think that I, I can maybe clarify a little bit here. I'm not saying don't consult your star players at all. I'm just saying if you're sitting there as the general manager and saying, well, Connor wants me to go out and get Nazem Kadri, I'm going to do it. Well, well, no, because Nazem Kadri might not be the best fit. I mean, if we if we take another example, let's look at the Calgary Flames. It's been well documented that Jonathan Huberdeau, since coming over from Florida, is not doing very well on that team and with Daryl Sutter as a head coach. If you talk to people around the league, Daryl Sutter is a great coach. But if... The management in Calgary listens to Huberdeau, and he has some kind of ill will for Daryl Sutter. Sutter could very well be out because in some cases, what you'll find is that the players have longer contracts than the coaches do. And so the player, when they don't like something that the coach does or says to them, just sits back in their stall and goes, well, I'm going to be here long after you're gone. So I really don't care what you think. And that. I think speaks to the, the respect factor that you're talking about. At the end of it all, it does, as Cameron said, need to be a collaboration. You collaborate and you work together as a team for success. And I think Calgary is actually a great example of they had an amazing team last year and did really, really well. And now all of a sudden they have a couple of new players and a couple of players have left and they're not doing very well at all. I think 
that's a symptom of the coach though too because I think that when you kind of turn a roster over like Calgary did I think that the coach also needs to change and too many times the coach only uh, coaches one certain way and Daryl Sutter is known for uh, I believe as a defensive coach um, so I, I think you have to work with the roster that you have and I think that the coach should be able to um, kind of morph or be able to transform their coaching style to based on the players that they have I agree I think it is I think everybody has to adapt in in the moment I think if you if you think well you know I, I don't know why you would think this but if you think Jonathan Huberdeau's not gonna work on your your line in 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 Calgary you do have to give it an opportunity you have to you have to give it the chance you can't just say I, I'm gonna make this change and and I'm not gonna agree with it and it's just not gonna work I think you you as an athlete need to open your mind and say, okay, well, there must be a reason why, you know, uh, Brad True Living feels that this is, this is a good situation. This is, this is the way it wants to be. And, and that's the, the easy answer. I think it's too easy for athletes to, you know, walk up the ivory tower. If you can follow my train of thought here and say, this is what I want done and this is what I want done now whereas maybe when I you know as a as a teenager you just sort of always felt that management did their thing and coaches did their thing and I think we've lost that connection to the point where you can maybe go to a coach and and not every example is the same I'm not trying to say this but we've lost it in some regard where it's like figure it out within your own group before you just throw out well I'm going to go to the boss and see if I can get it changed Josh well, exactly. And I think another great example is actually the Brooklyn Nets in uh, in the NBA. You had you had yeah. Kevin Durant who, who came to Brooklyn and he said, I want you to bring in Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Well, that was an unmitigated disaster, if you ask most people. And not only that, but they brought in Steve Nash as their coach. And then I think a year later, they, he was fired because presumably the big three on the team didn't like him and it's just like why do why did you do this because now none of them are there nash is gone durant's gone harden's gone and even kyrie irving's gone now we can argue that brooklyn might be very happy that kyrie is gone but that's <laughs> another topic altogether yeah that's just uh, but a it's just Mess. When you start listening to your star players and sort of caving into what your star players want, I, I think that's a slippery slope because not every player is going to have the wherewithal to say, I need to ask for things that are going to make the team better and not just me better. Yeah, and in the NBA, that's just a total different beast altogether because you do have people that are in free agency and Kyrie as well as uh, uh, the other gentleman. I can't remember his name and you just said it. Harden or Durant? Uh, James Harden. No, not James Harden, yeah. the other guy. Durant. 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 Um, those two uh, talked in the offseason and they ended up saying, okay, let's go to uh, the Nets. And uh, I think uh, they got Harden in a trade from the 76ers to bring him in. Um, and I'm pretty sure Durant and Irving would have uh, had, um, you know, talks about that or given the okay to do that. And yeah, the NBA, that's just a me league. It's about individual players and not necessarily the team. Um, every individual player just tries to make themselves look good at the end of the day in the NBA. So yeah, with the NBA, that's just, <clears throat> yeah, a show. I want to say something else, but I can't. We're on air. It's a family friendly show. So it's, it's just a show over there, man. Yeah, it is. And, and I would say that, you know, that whole, uh, debacle re really made Steve Nash look like a terrible coach. You know, like, because let's be real, even though I would argue that most of the GMs and, and owners are going to look at that situation a bit differently. But most times when you're looking to get a, um, a coach in there, you look at their track record as a coach. Well, Steve Nash's track record looks like garbage comparative to, 
you know, what it is. But I, again, I want to reiterate that I think most GMs in their situation are going to look at that situation and go, yeah, but this happened. And, but again, a lot of the GMs and, and, and higher up say, well, I can change this guy and I can make them into a, a, a better, uh, better uh player and that's all there is like what comes to mind for me is matt murray of the toronto maple leafs what did kyle dubas do kyle dubas <laughs> said i'm gonna make matt murray into the greatest thing since sliced bread and where is matt murray he and said then, no such thing and then and no then no such thing and then and then when the matt murray gets injured ottawa basically puts out a a, a notice saying yeah, we knew about his injuries in a polite way. And it's just like the mm-hmm. GMs in all sports decide, I'm going to try to make this person into this magical rec- reclamation project. And it, it just doesn't work. But sometimes it does. Look at that bunting. He's a reclamation project. He's doing quite well. Nylander, he's doing really well. And everyone wanted, everyone wanted him fired so or traded off the team. So <laughs> don't you be going off on a rant about uh, the Leafs and just stop it. Okay, I, I, I don't, I don't want to no. get accused of being a homer. So I'm going to also throw in another one. What about Yusei Kikuchi? Everyone thought he was going to be this great thing, and he can't even pitch. He oh can't even God. pitch in, in <laughs> the bullpen. From, like. You went from one Toronto team to the other Toronto team, you homer. Yeah, but they're a national team, so we're good. Oh, okay. No, they, his <laughs> first start was really good. He had a couple of innings, and everyone's uh, rah-rah, yuskichi, or whatever. Everyone's on, back, back on, on the train. The, uh, it's spring training. Get a hold of yourself. I do have a hold of myself. Watch, he's going to be one of those comeback players, and he's going to do well, and then you're going to be eating your words there, Brock. Uh, I'll wait and see on that one, but I hope you're right, Cameron. I hope you're right. The point is that... What is the point, Brock? GMs want to make themselves look good by reclamation projects, and eight times out of ten reclamation projects... Don't work. Maybe that's a bit of a high statistic, but I but would say more. You have to, that's what you have to do in the NHL with the hard salary cap is that you pay. There's like the hierarchy of the players getting paid lots and lots of money. And then everyone else gets paid really low. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping for a reclamation project <laughs> because that's all you can spend on. So that's the way NHL hockey works these days because of the salary cap. Yeah, no, it's, and the thing is, you, you put so much stock into your forwards, your, your, the, the people that are going to score you the, the goals and the buckets and, you know, insert reference here. And then as the team gets on, you start losing, you know, well, we got to find this defenseman. And you're right, it is, it is a reclamation project. I look at Evander Kane, who was a reclamation project for the Edmonton Oilers, which has worked out really, really well for Edmonton. I did not think it would. And, uh, it has. Oh. So there are situations where reclamation projects can work well. But again, some of your off the field situations can make it into be worse. Cameron, you were going to comment? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, we can debate until the cows come home, which I usually love to do. Um, But with Kane, he's a bit of a different story because, uh, at least for me, I didn't know if uh, off the ice, if he was going to make it um, because of his attitude and stuff like that. Uh, To me, um, his hockey IQ and being able to play hockey, he could could play at a high level. It was just all the other um, in-between-the-years stuff I, I wasn't sure about. So that's my opinion on him. I agree, and and I think that can be a lot of the the point is that not only is it your on ice, you know, productivity, it's your off ice, you know, stuff. Also, I think people athletes feel that you know what happens off the field of play doesn't really matter. Well, in essence, it it absolutely does matter, and (laughs) that's been proven. I think we're talking about Kyrie again. <laughs> what I do off the court doesn't matter. Well, well, yes, it does when you're being when in you're the representing league. a National Basketball Association team. It does matter. As we're closing off, I'm just curious to know if you guys can think in about two and a half minutes, uh, what can be done uh, about all this? Is there a solution to all of this? Or is it just we are where we are, Josh? 
unfortunately, I think it's just we are where we are. I mean, if you are a general manager of a sports team that's a professional team in a professional league, I think you you owe it to your players to listen to all of them, not just the star players. But I think that you also owe it to your manager and your fans to do what's best for your team because otherwise you end up being a fan of the Brooklyn Nets and they're basically a G League team right now. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, the funny answer is uh, <clears throat> hold uh, anyone out that uh, is not playing hard enough for trade-related reasons, especially this time of year, and uh, sit their butt on the bench um, in a serious answer. Um you know, like I, I think collaboration is the way to go. Um, if, you know, you ask a lot of the players, you know, what their opinion is and they can choose to give it or not give it. Um, I think it's a dangerous game when you're asking all 25 different players about a move you're going to make. Um, because then there's a lot of opinions and at least for me and the type of person I am, that kind of clouds my judgment with having so many different opinions. So, um, I think there has to be a happy medium of, you know, your main core, um, or other people that they kind of point out that, you know, they have good ideas, um, and go with that core, whomever it is and talk to them and, um, go from there. I think, you know, to summarize this in probably the most cliche way I could possibly summarize this is that there is no iron team. You can have your one star player. You can even have two star players. You need a, a collective group to win a championship. Some people are going to make more money than others. There's no doubt about that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with getting opinions from some of your athletes, if not all of them. The challenge is when you give people too much power and you give them an inch, they like to take a mile. And that is where I'm going to leave this conversation for the day. That is the end of our show for this week. I would like to thank Josh Watson, Cam Jenkins. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Mark Aflalo. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you're into the neutral zone. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Next week.